Welcome to JFK and the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is episode 74. Episode 74 is a continuation of the Gerald Custer testimony. So, without further ado, let's listen to episode 74 of JFK, The Enduring Secret. Let me go back to, to an earlier question and ask you, how many exposures did you take of the skull? Took an anterior posterior, both laterals, and I took two oblique films. And the only reason why I took the two oblique films were to show any depth in bullet fragments. Is there a particular name or particular type of oblique films that you took? No, I just took them to show fragments and to show the gaping holes. What I'm thinking of is a term such as town or tangential. Okay, well, you could call them tangential views, but you wouldn't call them towns. Towns is a complete, where you bring the chin all the way down to the chest and you bring it in, you're diverging your central ray through the um, forehead, and it comes down through the occipital opening. It shows you foramen magnum. That's where the spine comes through. And did you take a town's... Uh, My best recollection, no. There's no way to take it because of the, uh, the rigor mortis, the way the head was positioned. You couldn't get a real good town's. So I totally eliminated it because of that. Was there any brain inside the cranium at the time that you took the first series of x-rays? To the best of my recollection, no. Were you present at any time while brain tissue was being No, removed? it wasn't. Jeremy, for the record, your question was obliterated by his answer. Were you present at any time all the brain tissue was being no, was I being removed. No, I wasn't. Did you ever see a wound on the front of President Kennedy's throat or the anterior of the throat? Yes, I did. Could you describe the wound that you observed? A typical bullet hole. How large was it? I would estimate a little bit bigger than my little finger in dimension across circumference or a diameter. Okay, so there was not a long uh, incision or cut on the throat that you observed, is that correct? Not at that time I didn't. And the first time that you saw this wound on the throat was when? At the time you were taking the x-rays or before? Uh, this is at the time I was taking the x-rays. 
did you ever see a wound on the back of President Kennedy? That's when I picked him up and the bullet dropped out of there. There was a small wound. Where was that wound located? I would have to estimate him down mid-thoracic, somewhere around there, or upper thoracic. And what kind of wound did that appear to be to you? Another small bullet hole. And other than the wine incision, did you observe any other wounds on President Kennedy's body other than those you've described? Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think now. Well, there was a gaping hole in the right parietal region. The right eyeball was protruding. <coughs> and truthfully, if you know anything about basic physics, when you have a force, you have an equal and opposite force in the other direction. So that kind of, uh, at that time, it didn't come to my recollection of what it was, but later on, I realized that had to be an entrance wound to some sort there. Because if you read in that, the uh, transcription that I uh, brought in, that that's brought out. Off the record. Put off the record right away. Sure. I may ask you about it when we get back. Okay, right that's right. fine. Your first exhibit there. Is take an anterior posterior. And that's not, and I do say that is not a correct radiological position. It's only done when any facial fractures are suspected. Because yeah. look at the orbits, look how small, how large they are. When you take a proper anterior posterior film, the orbits are a lot smaller than that. That's due right there. Because you when you when you think think of what's going on here. Let me show you something. Give me one show. So you have your patient laying on the table. You have your source forty four inches here. The only way to get rid of distortion, you have to have a seventy two inch distance. This totally eliminates all distortion. This is why only chest x-rays are taken at 72 inches. Because you get the exact size of the heart that you have. If you were taken any closer, it would show the heart as a king-size thing, and everybody would have cardiomegalia. So this is basically incorrect when you see this. I want to get that down right away. Okay. I have been off my stenographic record. Oh, yeah, that's, that's understood. Mr. Custer, I'd like to show you three documents that we've marked exhibits numbers 205, 206, and 207 that are schematic drawings of a skull. And what I'd like to do is to ask you some questions about the wounds that you saw on the skull. So this will not be a question about the x-rays, that you took, but just the wounds that you could observe with your own eyes of the skull. What I'd like to ask you to do, in, and you can choose any of the three diagrams, that, uh, any one or more of the three diagrams, to draw where you saw the injuries uh, to the damage to the skull. 
Okay, basically, the lateral skull, which is marked exhibit uh, 206, damage was in the parietal temporal region. So that would have to involve all the way down through here. Then you have a ragged piece of bone that come up like this, and then down through here. On the one x-ray, you could actually see the salaturcica, which is called the turkey saddle. That is the keystone of the cranial vault, which holds the brain. And on the one lateral, this was very prominent. You could actually see this. Here, you would, like I said before, the right eye was out like this. This whole portion, back through here, there was fractures up through here, fractures through here, fractures through here. What I need to do is make sure this makes sense on the record. Uh, now, what you've done is drawn a, a shape that I'll call somewhat kidney-shaped part of the drawing, and that is, that is the part of the skull that was missing. Right. Is that correct? Correct. This was all gaping. And in fact, it may have gone a little bit further back in the year. Okay, well, if you could draw it best you best you can. This is the best of my recollection. It could have come back in the year a little bit more. I mean, it was king-sized hole. I have extremely large hands. And to estimate the size of the hole, I can put my hands together and place my hands in the skull. Now, on the drawing that you have made, and with the bones as they're identified here, none of the principal part of the missing wound goes into the occipital bone. Is that correct? They didn't. The hole doesn't, but this is all unstable. A lot of this bone was out. It would flap out. And when you say this bone, you're referring to the, the occipital region, parietal, right, and part of the lambdoidal, and down through the posterior, uh, the occipital protuberance. This was all unstable material. I mean, completely. Could you use the, the blue pen and make hash marks that will cover the part portion of the bone that, that was missing from the skull? I'm more away. What do you mean? So just make marks of that. No, okay. Oh, it has to be like that. So that, this is so that a person reading the transcript will understand what portion that you're saying is missing. See, this... Portion here. It was like a irregular. Well, you know what it acts. Okay. You're referring to, I'm sorry. You're referring, when you say this here, it's not going to be clear on the transcript. The temporal bone area. What you're referring to is the, is the suture between the temporal bone and the parietal right. bone. Okay. This flapped out. It looked as if they had sawed it. But this was all missing here. And, the, and when you say this, you're referring to the hash marks. The, the hash marks and the parietal bone. Okay. Now, earlier, again, just to make sure this is clear for the record, you were saying that there were, that there, the bone was split and fragmented. You're refer referring to the part outside of the hash mark right. but along the back. 
In fact, this part, uh, which is between two, I'd say, superior to the lambdoidal suture, this part of the skull came out past the line and come back in and ragged it. What you did, just did is draw a straight line right near the top of the cranium and then a, a line down that connects. Which it. tells you, again, you had to have a king-size force coming anterior to posterior. Everything seemed like it was just pushed backwards. This whole area blew out. You're referring again to the part of the temporal temporal area, temporal bone, or the parietal bone. And this flopped. Now, you referred to portions of the skull being missing. Can you tell me whether scalp was missing there, too? It was shredded. Scalp was shredded. And when it was loose. When I, I remember when I first came in and saw the face, everything had been drooped, like somebody had pulled the scalp and pulled it down. I had to look twice at it. Now, this time when you see this, this is when, when you have been out of the morgue for approximately an hour right. and you've come back. Right. That you see it that way. Right. Could you look at the drawing on exhibit number 207 and draw on that exhibit where the skull was missing? All right. Here you have that flap again. And you're referring to the top right the corner. Super- Temporal line in and around that area. And this whole area, I mean, back through here, was gone. And if you could make hash marks on that again. But again, this was all unstable. You're now referring to the occipital, the occipital bone. bone. And you had fractures, I mean, through here, through here, and near the sagittal suture, you had that portion of the bone that protruded upward. Now, this is an estimation, really. I understand. When you took the x-rays, did you have any kind of markers or tags that would identify, for example, who the subject of the x-ray was or some unique identifier? Nothing that would identify the subject. I had my uh, my own little measuring device on it. What kind of measuring device is that? Well, it showed if, if say the position was too far to the left, too far to the right, or uh, the chin was up too high, or the chin was on, they had like little holes in it, and you could see them. It would either elongate, or you'd see a, a little dot. Was there a name for that measuring device? It was my own personal. Excuse me. It was my own personal device. Were, were there any other? Uh, identifiers that would appear on the film that would help say when the audience... Maybe, I'm not sure. It could have had the hospital identification on the film. That's possible. I'm not sure. Is there any other way that you can think of that if we were to show you x-rays that you would be would help you identify whether they are x-rays that you yourself took on the night of November? Well, there's one in particular, one of the laterals or Dr. Ebersol put it too close to the uh, heart light, any part of the emotion. When did that happen? That was during 
after the first set of skull films were taken. And the AP cervical spine showed metal fragments. And one of the laterals also showed a um, bone fragments that had the conosome. If you've ever, ever uh, used a, a fragment bullet, when it goes in, it fragments. And the further it goes in, the cone becomes bigger. So you have a small... Let me write your pen. I know this is hard to put it on record. Like your cone starts small. And it goes... As you come on, it expands. Say so this being the front of the skull, the forehead, the orbits, the nasion, which is the nose, the jaw, and back the occipital region. Now that's very crude drawing, but basically you get the idea. Can we go off the record for a second? Could, could you read the fact on the record? Mr. Custer, is there any other identifying information that would help you be able to determine whether an x-ray that you took that night was in, let me withdraw that. Is there any other type of identifier that you can think of that would help you determine whether an x-ray is one that you took on the night of November 22nd or 23rd? Well, there's one that I, I know for a fact of the lumbar spinal region. He had myelogram dye, and it's a contrast medium dye. As you must remember, Kennedy had a back problem, which he had to come to Bethesda to give films and treatment for anyway. And this is one time that I had met him prior. Basically, that's it, really. Who was involved in the setting up of the x-rays on the skull? Anyone besides yourself? No, I was. You did all of the work? I did all of the work. What was Mr. Reed's role at that time? Just assisting me and handing me films and um, basically taking the cassettes out of the dirty coverings. Did Dr. Ebersol play any role in the technical part of taking the... None whatsoever. I had total control. In fact, like I had stated to you before, I was guiding him instead of him guiding me. After you had finished taking the x-rays of the skull, what did you do? They were taken upstairs to the department, run through, brought back. This is the thing. Dr. Ebersol waited like a man that was starving for a meal. As soon as I brought them in, he grabbed them, threw them up there and examined them. And then they went into their big conference and da 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 And he would say, okay, take the next set. Approximately how much time was there between the time that you left the morgue and you returned with the developed x-rays? Well, now this is an estimation. I'd have to say half an hour at the most. Because I had to get on the elevator, go up to the first floor, walk down the corridor, go down to the other, past the rotunda, down to the other, other elevator, and go up to the fourth floor, take the films, 
processing at that time was five minutes. Now it's a matter of a minute and a half. At that time, it was an old PECO unit where it was about six foot, or I'd say ten foot long, and it took a lot longer to develop. Were all of the five skull x-rays taken at that first time, or was that, those are actually two different series? No, all of them were taken at that time. By the time that you left the, the morgue on, on the time with the x-rays in hand, had you seen any photographers taking pictures by that time? No, not really. You mean photographers outside the morgue? No, totally inside the morgue. The, the oh, they were, like I said before, they were taking pictures all the time. Sure. Even when I walked away, Floyd would come over and take films, uh, and then come back off and come in, take films, back off. It, it was a constant thing. Okay. When you came back, were you asked for any opinions on the results of the skull x-rays? <laughs> on the contrary, I was told to keep my mouth shut. I gave my opinions, and I was told that's not my job. You're here to take x-rays only. Do the x-rays of the skull show any significant amount of brain tissue? To the best of my recollection, I don't remember seeing any. What were you next asked to do? Take pictures of the neck, then take pictures of the, the shoulder areas, the chest area, the thoracic areas, the thoracic spine, the lumbar spine, the pelvis, what was the, how many exposures were in the next series that you took? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Three, four, five. Say five or six, maybe more. There was a total of about anywhere from 14, 14 to 20 films. That's total for? Yeah, total for the whole night. Okay. But your estimate would be on the set, this second series, there were approximately four or five. Right. Is that right? He, he wanted to not go too far, just to shoot some films, run them up, bring them back, examine them. Shoot some more films, run them up, bring them back. And you got to remember, I was limited to what I had. I only had a certain amount of films there. So approximately how much time passed between the time that you returned with the first series of skull x-rays and you then began taking the second series of neck and... Well, it was long enough for them to discuss the films that they had. was uh, 15, 20 minutes, half hour, somewhere around there. And then, and then that's a crude estimate. Sure, understood. Then approximately how long until you returned with the developed second series of x-rays? Approximately about the same time. Okay. And then what was the next series of x-rays that you took? Well, like I said, I took some spine films, uh, thoracic spine, lumbar spine, and I ran them up, brought them back. And I took some pictures of uh, the pelvis and a few of the lower extremities, and that's when I stopped them. 
I said, it's ridiculous to go any further. He's not going to be shocked as lame. And he agreed with me, and I stood there. But you got to remember, at this time, each one of these trips, there was a lot more conversation going on. There was a lot more interference going on. So it stretched out. I was there for a good while. Okay. Did you and Mr. Reed ever go develop films separately, or were you together? Always together. Uh, previously in the deposition, we talked about Exhibit 202, which was a photograph that you brought with you. Correct. I'd like to show you another exhibit, March 208, that has another photograph. I'd like you to look at the one on the right. This is the one that I forgot to bring. Okay. All right, this was what I told you was taken through the keyhole. Okay. So you was carrying the aprons, don't you? Why don't you tell us for the record? <laughs> the student. That's Mr. Reed? That's Mr. Reed. And he's definitely carrying the apron. And he's the one in the center, is that correct? Correct. It's part of the military protocol. When I was a student, I did the work. And he's a student, uh, he does the dirty work. Can you identify the person on the left? That better be me. All right. And can you and that's an ear right in the middle of my chest. All right, this is... Um, on, the, on the far right, the person is... That's a uh, Marine guard that was here at the time. Okay. I don't know why he took his hat off, but he was there. Can you see the picture on the, the left? Yes, I was just looking at that, and... That's hard to tell what that is, or when that was taken. I don't remember seeing that. Okay, why don't we take a break for lunch, and then we'll come back. Sounds good to me. What? We're on the record now. Lovely luncheon. Mr. Custer, just before our break, we were looking at the photograph that is at exhibit number 208. I just had one follow-up question regarding you and Mr. Reed. Could you tell me what your rank was at that time? As an E4. E4? E4. And what was the rank of Mr. Reed? E4 also. Okay. Off the record. Off the record. Off the record. We're on the record. Mr. Custer, we're going to show you now X-ray number one, which has been identified in the 1966 inspection as the anterior-posterior view of the skull, slightly heat damaged. My first question to you Mr. Custer, is whether you can identify that as an autopsy X-ray yes, that you definitely an autopsy film. If you could let me finish the question, can, no, you can you identify that as an autopsy X-ray that you took on the night of November 22nd, 23rd, 1963? Yes, sir. Correct. How, how can you identify that as being one that you took? Bullet fragment, right over the ridge, fragments throughout the temporal region. Remember how he stated, looked like somebody had saw a portion of him here. You're referring to the uh, mid-sagittal mid plane. Okay. This? Yes, now you're pointing to what looked like uh, a marker. A marker. It's my personal marker. See the opening? That shows the plane the film was taken. It's off to the side. 
Now, let me just say for the marker that that is appears when we are looking at the X-ray from the front, that that is on the bottom right near the, what would be the left? Left. That's on the bottom right in the way that we are looking right. at it, to the left of uh, the victim. Is that correct? This is correct. Whenever you look at a film, it's right to left, left to right. Yes, you're correct. Is there anything else that you can identify with this x-ray that helps you determine that it's an x-ray that you took on the night of November 22nd? I remember this marker. When you say that marker, what are you referring to? It's a label. Just Naval Hospital, Bethesda, Maryland. So that's writing that appears, again, as we were looking at it from the front along the right margin. Yes, is that correct? Right. Earlier in your deposition, you referred to some heat damage on one of the x-rays. Do you see any heat damage on this x-ray? This is where Dr. Ebersaw got it too close to the heat plant. I stated to him twice, please do not put it too close. You can see what it started to curdle, literally. And here it started to burn. And isn't it funny how where it starts to burn is the area that I suggested was an entry wound. Now, are you certain that that heat damage took place on this x-ray on the night of November 22nd? Yes, sir. I was there and I saw him do it. Can you identify in the x-ray any brain shadow? No, there's no brain shadow. And I can see Maybe portion, very small, but this is all empty. And anything, but I mean, just if I make this for the record, when you say this is empty, you're pointing pointing to the left side as we are looking at it, which is the right hemisphere. Correct. Anatomically, this that doesn't set right. And if you're going to put it in a record like that, it's based the damage. It should be a, the damage is on the right side. The anatomical right. Anatomical right. That's fine. Let, let's just continue to refer to anatomically. Okay. So here's another thing, too, that shows basically this is possible. More than likely, I'd say 80 to 90 percent entry wound. See this air down through the sinus area, maxillary sinuses? The only way you get air through the maxillary sinuses is when you have damage to the orbital ridge and the orbital vex. Air gets down into the sinuses. Sinuses are right here in the front of the face on both cheekbones. Your eye orbit sits back in. If you ever have any damage, you get punched in the eye. A lot of times, if this fractures the orbital ridge, you get an opening that communicates between the sinus in the eye. And this is why a lot of times they'll take sinus films on a damaged frontal area. And if you see blood or fluid in there, this is where they'll say well, you have an orbital fracture. So where you have orbital fracture. Orbital fracture. Earlier you pointed to what I'm going to call the half circle that appears to be at the lightest part of the film, and you referred to that as the bullet fragment? Yes, sir. Is that right? Where was that bullet fragment located? 
Now, let me withdraw that question and ask another question. Do you know where the bullet fragment was located on the body? Right orbital ridge, superior. How do you know that it was in the right orbital ridge rather than at the back of the skull? Because of the protruding eyeball. Did you see the fragment removed? No, I did not. Can I inject something here? Sure. Uh, this area, I pointed out to Dr. Ebersole as a fragment, and he called it an artifact. I said, how about these fragments up here? This is what he told me in the mind room business. You can see where the skull has been fractured. This is all ear through here. What I was going to say before... But I'm just... When, when you say through here, again, that won't okay. be on the record. You're referring through the... To the anatomical, anatomical position of the right side where bone has separated completely and this all fills up through air on the right anatomical or aspect of the skull. Another reason when you have blackness in the right defect above the right orbit is when all the tissue is gone. And there's nothing to stop the penetrating rays. So, of course, everything gets through. See the difference here? You have bone. Now you're referring to the anatomical left. Anatomical left side. No bone here. You can see a decent density here on, on the left side. And anatomical left side. The anatomical right side is all black and thin, which shows there is no tissue, no bone, no nothing. But this is important right here. There's air in the maxillary sinuses. You're extremely important on the right anatomical side. Extremely important. This is why I don't understand people didn't see this. And look, here, here's another thing. Let me bring this up. Let me Look at all the fractures over here. Look at all this. On the right side. On the right side. Right anatomical position. All the fractures are here. And then it gradually snakes out to the left anatomical side. This is where all the trauma was. Right here. And you're bringing it into the right, right side. Right anatomical side again. If there was trauma over on the left anatomical side... This would all be gone. And then you'd have fractures sneaking out, snaking out into the, the right end of the side. Now, these guys are experts. But I have 28 years of experience as an x-ray technician. In common sense. Previously in the deposition, you said that there was, uh, there were, metal fragments in the cervical spine. Are you able to identify any cervical spine fragments or is the picture too Not fine? in this projection. Okay. The only part of the cervical spine that I can identify is C2. That is the part the skull rotates on. You want to get further down. No, I understand. Hey, can we now look at the... Oh, I, if I could ask one 
another couple of questions. Sorry. Are you able to identify what kind of X-ray film that is? Well, it's 10 by 12 cassette, radiographic cassette and film. I would say it would be a medium par speed. Sorry, medium? Medium par speed, P-A-R. Can you identify any edge markings? No, that's just aluminized. That's the screens. So that and then it has a serial number in there. That doesn't tell what type of film it is. That tells what kind of cassette was, what right. film was in. Is that correct? That's all. Do Do you know what kind of film was used in the Bethesda radiology lab at that time? At that time, at that year, it has to be a par speed screen because the uh, technological advancements weren't for the faster speeds at that time. Is there any question in your mind whether the x-ray that's in front of you now is the original x-ray taken at the No point? question. And the answer it is, is the original film. Is par speed a, a speed of film or a brand name? The speed of film. Do you know a brand name for the... Kodak, probably. More than likely it was Kodak. Do you know whether Kodak marked its X-ray film with a brand name on on the edges of the film? Mm, during that early part of the year, no, they didn't. It was basically on the the boxes, the thin shipping thing. Now they do. Okay. Look at number two now, please, which is identified in the 1966 inventory as a right lateral view of the skull with two angle lines overdrawn on the film. Thank you for listening to episode 74 of JFK, The Enduring Secret. 